Good morning, people. Welcome to the Bible Project Daily Podcast. You join us again today as we journey through the entire Bible, chapter by chapter, verse by verse. We're midway through season six, which is our study time together, working through the Gospel of Mark. If you're here for the very first time today, then why not subscribe wherever it is you get your favourite podcasts from, and that way you need never miss another single episode. In fact, that way you have made the decision to make the study of the Bible part of the rhythm of your daily life. New episodes are posted approximately every Monday to Friday, and it doesn't matter whether you choose to follow along at the pace they're posted, or you go right back to the start and just commit to do it at whatever pace works for you. So with that all said, we'll drop back in and pick up where we left off last time in Mark chapter 8, 27. And I'll see you at the end to just update you about a few ways in which you can connect to this ministry and access other free Bible teaching resources and episode notes and transcripts of everything that's said. So bye for now. Hello podcasts. Today the question I'm asking and we're going to consider together is what is the relationship between salvation and discipleship and the text we're going to be looking at will be covering 11 verses from Mark chapter 8 verses 27 through to verse 38. You know the relationship between salvation and discipleship is a complex one. There may even be different perspectives among people listening to this very podcast today as to what that is. Some will say you get saved and then you become a disciple. Others teach that you must be a disciple in order to be a Christian. That leads some to ask the question why some people appear to make a Christian commitment in their lives and then it doesn't seem to lead to any sort of transformation or not in the way they expect anyway. So what I'd like to try to do today is throw some light on these issues and consider the relationship between salvation and discipleship. Are they the same thing or are they two completely different things? Well, helpfully this morning, the passage we're going to look at consists of two very straightforward, distinct parts. In the first half of today's passage, there's a discussion between Jesus and his disciples about who the people, the general public, and they then they themselves think he is. And then in the second part of the passage, beginning in verse 34, he will teach them about what it means to be a disciple, a follower of him. So let's pick up the text in verse 27. Mark 8, beginning to read verse 27 and 28. And it tells us, Jesus and his disciples went on to the villages around Caesarea Philippi, and on the way he asked them, Who do the people say I am? They replied, Some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others, one of the prophets. Now, I want to think about this short uh, interaction for a moment. Jesus asks a very perceptive question here, a really significant question, which is, Who do people say that I am? Now, the disciples answer by saying, Well, some people say you're John the Baptist, and some say you're Elijah. Now, those may seem strange answers, but perhaps not as strange as it sounds when you understand that the last book of the Old Testament, a book called Malachi, said that before the Messiah would come, that Elijah would reappear. 
and some people saw this ministry and the miracles of Christ and concluded that he must be this forerunner of the Messiah and that indeed Elijah had come back again. Others just said he was a prophet, another prophet of God, one in a long line of prophets. Jesus then asks a follow-up question and this time it gets personal. But what about you, he asked, who do you say I am? Peter answered, you are the Messiah. Jesus warned them not to tell anybody about him. Now, the important thing to pick up on here is the fact that this is the first time that Peter is clearly seen to articulate that he understood that Jesus was, in fact, the Messiah. Right at the beginning of John's Gospel account in chapter 1, we see Peter's brother Andrew meeting the Lord for the first time, and then after that going to Peter and telling him, look, we find the Messiah. So having been introduced to him as the Messiah, Peter himself is now saying, I'm personally persuaded that this is indeed who you are, the Messiah. And it is this point in the passage that Jesus begins to teach Peter and the others about how God's free gift of salvation through him will actually play out. So they recognize who he is fully, and then he begins to teach them as disciples. Picking up in verse 31, it says, He then began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests and the teachers of the law, and that he must be killed and after three days rise again. He spoke plainly about this, and Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. But when Jesus turned and looked at his disciples, he rebuked Peter. Get behind me, Satan, he said. You do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely your human concerns. You see, Peter didn't like Jesus' versions of events, particularly this idea that he needed to die. And when Peter hears this, he says so that he doesn't like it, and Jesus then rebukes him. And this is not just a mild ticking off here. He says, get thee behind me, Satan. So Jesus tells Peter that his reaction to what he's just told him is not of God. In fact, his reaction is inspired by the devil himself. And he has only reached this wrong conclusion because he's not been mindful of the things of God. He's thinking about his own selfish concerns. So what's going on here? Well, you see, at that time, most people in that day had a concept of the Messiah, which was all to do about a great leader coming and setting up a kingdom. However, the concept of the suffering Messiah, they knew that was contained within the Old Testament. The teachers of the law and the Pharisees knew that and knew it well. But the Jews of Jesus' day were focusing on the hope, the return of the Messiah, as what was referred to as the son of David, as a conquering king. The suffering servant Messiah, which though they knew was in the Old Testament text, was kind of incompatible with the popular teachings of that day. And obviously Peter had soaked up some of these current ideas and was aware of what these men were teaching. And Jesus, in hearing this, doesn't mince his words when he says that this teaching has come straight from the heart of Satan, not the throne room of God. So the Lord here rebukes Peter because he did not accept that the Messiah needed to die and be raised from the dead. He did not accept that individuals need saving from their sin, and that was the primary role of the Messiah upon his return. You see, Peter is flip-flopping here. One minute, he's 
empowered, enlightened, if you like, by the Spirit of God. And the next minute, he's thinking like and expressing the thoughts of the religious hierarchy of the day. In fact, of Satan himself. One minute, Peter goes from the rock, and the next he becomes a stumbling block. Peter does not understand the relationship between suffering and glory. That's the key thing here. He would learn that lesson and emphasize it later when he wrote his first letter. But in the meantime, at this point, he is being influenced by Satan's worldly philosophy of achieving glory and power without suffering, rather than the messianic hope of suffering being transformed into glory. Now, before we get into the rest of the passage, I just want to talk for a moment about salvation itself. The Bible says that we are saved, saved from judgment and eternal separation from God, by Jesus and what he did when he came. When we trust in Christ and Christ alone to get to heaven, we need add nothing to that. The book of Romans clarifies that when it clearly says, and all are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. That's Romans 3.24. In fact, the very closing verses of the New Testament, the final phrase, In the New Testament, in the book of Revelation, that closing out Revelation chapter 22, says this, The Spirit and the bride say, Come, and let the one who hears say, Come, and let the one who is thirsty come, and let the one who wishes take the free gift of the water of life. Both of these verses are talking about salvation, but as a free gift, something that is given freely. You see, friends, that salvation, that eternal life, is absolutely a free gift from God. Romans 6.23 says it in very plain language. For the wages of sin of death, but the gift of God, the gift of God, is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. It's straightforward to see that a gift is something, yes, it costs the giver, but to those who receive it, it is free, right? So in this situation, salvation is being described as a free gift, meaning that yes, there was a price that was paid, but Jesus paid the cost of that gift so that we can receive it, in other words, receive God's favour as a free gift. So the cost is not ours, the cost is never ours, the cost has already been met by Jesus. For us to receive it, there is no price to pay. And that simply means salvation does not cost us anything. There is no external cost to us to receive the favour, the salvation of God. We simply have to go and take it, receive it. And I would suggest if you're listening to this today and you haven't done that already, then do it and do it today. There's nothing required other than a spiritual response to say thanks to God for what he's offered you in Christ. The other thing about this gift is we're told that it is everlasting and once gained, it never falls. It has no expiration date, so to speak. God's gift of salvation will never lapse or expire and it is not reversible either. If you've trusted in Jesus Christ, that means you've got it, it's yours, it's eternal and he won't even take it back. Nothing can change that offer on his part. Now, that means that some take and say thank you and take that gift. And in reality, the truth of human nature is some will never do anything more about it. But let's now look at the second half of the passage and see now 
what is described as life's journey after salvation and how it should be in this thing called discipleship. Mark 8.34 Then he called the crowd to him along with his disciples and said, Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. So the next passage is saying, Okay, you have now been saved. Now he asks the question, the free will question that we can respond freely to, are you now going to follow me? There's a warning to that. He says, but if you're going to do that, you need to be aware there's going to be a cost. Now, maybe now we see why some people, yes, they give their hearts to the Lord. That is is a sincere commitment at that time. But then afterwards, they do very little about it. It's human nature to want to take the free gift. They don't want to have to pay the price of discipleship afterwards. And there is a price. And the number one cost is this, in that you must deny yourself. Now, this phrase has nothing to do with what some people call self-denial, like fasting or giving things up. There's great confusion over this. Those things may be valid to do on occasion sometimes, but this is an entirely different thing to what Jesus has talked about here. And people who use these verses as an example of what they call self-denial is not the same thing as denial of self that has been talked about here. I want to give you an illustration of just how wrong-headed this perspective can become. What I'm about to tell you is an accurate account, I kid you not, of someone that I know. I have a friend from a different Christian tradition who during the year tries to ration themselves to one chocolate bar or special treat a day. However, during a time called Lent, she stops eating her treats, but she still buys them and puts them in a box. Then after the Lent season is over, she opens the box and catches them up by eating more than one over the next few weeks. You see, denial of self is not the same thing as self-denial. Denial of self, which is what is being talked about here, is the idea of denying self as the ultimate authority in your life. Denial of self means instead of following your own ideas, your own motivations, or even physical desires, which means there is an overlap into this other area sometimes, but it's mainly about committing to follow the path of the Lord and do what his desires are for your life. Sometimes it will mean saying no to what you want to do, and often it will mean saying yes to things you don't really want to do because you feel God is telling you to do it. Discipleship has a cost because it means saying no to every action and desire that is driven purely by your own selfish wants and needs. Rather, you should say yes to the voice of God in your life, the voice of God revealed through his word, through the voice of Jesus, the words spoken by Jesus, the ministry of Jesus, and the power of the Holy Spirit. Paul says it it should feel like this, you no longer live for yourself, but Christ lives in you. Discipleship means ultimately that the price you pay is you no longer have a self-centered life. Discipleship means you now make the active free will choice to have a Christ-centered life. So the first cost of discipleship, and there is a cost, not for salvation, but the cost of discipleship after salvation is this thing called denial of self. But there's a second cost of discipleship also revealed in this verse, when he tells us that it will involve taking up our cross and following him 
And Luke actually adds the caveat when talking about this. He says to do that every day. So we need to think about what it means to take up your cross. Now, of course, that this means that there's an element of self-sacrifice and suffering going on here. But to take up your cross simply means, I believe, following the will of God wherever that may take you. So we are to practice denial of self and we are to take up our cross and follow him. And following him means doing as Christ would do whilst on that life journey from this stage forward. At this point in the passage, Jesus begins to describe the process of discipleship in more detail. Let's look at the next verse, verse 35. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, and whoever loses their life for me and the gospel will save it. What does that mean? Well, it's fairly straightforward. It's just simply saying if you live for yourself, you will lose your previous purpose in life. However, if you give your life over to Jesus and his message, you will end up discovering what life is really about. Handing over your life to God ironically means getting back a really meaningful life will hand it straight back to you. The more you live a life that's wrapped up in yourself, the less happy you will be and the less, ironically, you will know what life is really about. I believe the happiest, most fulfilled people on this earth are those who hand themselves over to something greater than themselves. When it comes to costs in God's economy, God gave us a life of value. Our life has a value to him, but only in the sense that we are to spend it on other people. In other words, spend what he has given us with others. And by doing that, the truth is, friends, we're only spending what God gave us anyway. Now finally in these closing verses Jesus unpacks all this and by doing so I think he takes this teaching to a whole new spiritual level. He says what good is it for someone to gain the whole world yet forfeit their soul or what can anyone give in exchange for their soul? Now remember the context of these verses here it's Jesus clearly teaching about the life of discipleship. And when he talks about losing your life, he's not talking about losing your physical life. He's talking about choosing to lose your old purpose and meaning in life and the motivation by which you did things and exchanging it for something way better. So he's saying, are you going to choose to live a life that's going to be a living, dynamic thing? Or are you just going to carry on in that dead, soulless existence? The challenge is, are you going to carry on wasting what you've been given or are you going to invest what you've been given into your spiritual journey, your spiritual path and into the lives of other people? And this tells me that by living the path of discipleship, living the discipleship way, then our life is something that will create spiritual profit, not only for us, but for everyone around us. The other side of that coin is you can just carry on squandering your life and emerge from it spiritually bankrupt. Then one final verse, Mark 8, 38. He closes this passage by saying, If anyone is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, the Son of Man will be ashamed of them when he comes in his Father's glory with the holy angels. Now, notice that there's a sort of judgment mentioned here, but this is not talking about the great white throne judgment, which is for unbelievers. For us, our salvation is secure. This is a judgment in the sense of the weighing of believers' lives 
as to what they were called and had the potential to do. And this is called the judgment seat of Christ. At the judgment seat of Christ, what he offers us is more than peace with God. That was achieved at the point of salvation. It is at this place that we will recognise and will be glorified for how we've chosen to live our lives in terms of salvation point forward. In other words, the life of discipleship. You see, you can't really dodge the sacrifice. You can't dodge the act of service, the carrying of the cross daily, and expect to reap the same benefits and rewards as everybody else. You can't refuse the hard work of having nothing to do at any level with God's plan on earth and expect the highest place of glory in heaven. So Jesus is saying here, as if you live in a world in a way that is hostile to my message, so you've been saved, but you follow on with nothing, if you're in effect ashamed of me, if you avoid the cost of identifying with me at any time, if you don't even do what I desire you to do, then clearly you're not going to gain the place of of highest honour when my kingdom finally comes. So in a sense, in order to be a disciple, for it to be profitable in the coming kingdom, it will involve sacrifice in this life. Okay, let me summarise all this. What I've done today, I hope, is simply point out that this passage is talking about two very different things. Firstly, salvation, and then discipleship. Believing Jesus is the Messiah and following him as a disciple are two radically different things. Salvation is without cost, it is a free gift. However, discipleship cost, which means there are sacrifices to be made. Maybe you believe all God promised believers is answered prayers, physical healings, financial prosperity, all of that stuff. Now, it might indeed be that God planned for you to be wealthy and live a blessed life, but do you know it might be God's plan for you also not to be wealthy and thereby for you the best thing that you be required to trust in him? The only thing he promised us was a cross to carry. I believe as a Christian preacher, I always have to tell people the truth about what Jesus and the Bible says. You know, what did Winston Churchill promise the British people when he took over the leading of the country as they stepped into World War II? In his famous speech, he said, I promise you nothing but blood, toil, sweat and tears. Now, in some parts of the world today, the cost of being a disciple can indeed be severe persecution, even death. But for us in the West, which I know most of the people who listen to this is where we're based, it's not likely to be much more than criticism or a constant implied low-level prejudice. Criticism is the cost of our discipleship, and that's a small price that we too have to pay. Okay, you're now maybe listening to this and thinking, well, you're not really selling me the life of Christian discipleship. I'm quite keen on this salvation idea, but if there's going to be sacrifice and costs along the way, you're not overly selling it to me. Maybe you're thinking there, why should I sign up for that? Why can't I just be saved and then not bother with the the discipleship route and living for God every day because it's just all I'm promised is a cross to carry? Well, the reason I would say that is because Jesus also teaches that if you follow him, he will reward you, not only spiritually in this life, but with glory in the kingdom to come. We will always enter that kingdom for free. 
but we are rewarded in heaven with the treasure that we lay up there, as he says elsewhere. The acid test of being a Christian disciple is choosing to do what it tells us to do in this book called the Bible. And I suppose it's the difference between saying you love people and really loving people. So are you choosing to carry the cost? Are you reticent to carry any potential cost? Or are you choosing the path of discipleship and laying up treasure in heaven? Living for yourself, the world might bring you some temporary things, temporary assets, but as the cliche says, you can't take them with you. The wise choice, the biblical choice, is to lay up treasure in heaven instead, because that will last an eternity. My final words this morning come from the Gospel of Matthew, where we hear Jesus giving us some clear advice in this. He says, Do not store up for yourself treasures on earth, where moths and vermin destroy, where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourself treasure in heaven, where moths and vermin do not destroy, and where thieves do not break in and steal, for where your treasure is, your heart will be also. Okay, friends, that's it for today. I do hope you find that helpful. Whether you're a new believer or a mature believer, maybe you're someone who's just recently come to know the Lord, maybe you've just made a commitment, in which case I hope you're encouraged to know that the path of discipleship can begin at that point or at any point after that, that you can be changed, refined to live a more godly life. And it'll be tough at times, and there'll be a price to pay, but the rewards on the other side of it are so much greater. Not just in future eternity, but in this life and in the lives of the people around you in this day. So I do hope that encourages you. Can I remind you that you've been listening to the Bible Project Daily Podcast, and my name is Jeremy McCandless. This podcast is available anywhere, all over the internet for free. And it is available for free because a select group of people have chosen to support this ministry and partner with it by becoming patrons and visiting the Patreon website. That's the place where you can commit for just a few dollars a month to support this ministry and make sure that it's freely available to give people all around the world the opportunity to make the study of the Bible part of the rhythm of their daily lives. And a special thank you to those people because I really couldn't do this without you. The Bible Project podcast is hosted on the Bible Project at buzzsprout.com but it's available on all the podcast platforms. Some of them will have active links through to the ways you can connect with the ministry but some of them don't publish those links so the place where if you want to find out more about us to go is the bible project at buzzsprout.com there you'll find links not only to patreon but to the social network the youtube channel my linkedin page all those places where you can access free additional resources discipleship courses different teaching on different areas and different subjects that don't quite fit into the format of the bible project as well as on the Bible Project host page itself, you'll find a full episode notes page, as well as a link to the transcript of each and every episode. 
please take those and use those in whatever way that helps you in your private or public ministry life. And with that all said, I say thank you very much for joining me again today. And I do hope I'll see you right back here tomorrow. Well, it'll be tomorrow for me. Whatever day works for you is good on the Bible Project Daily Podcast. Bye-bye now.